For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled, The Holy Spirit. Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon, everyone. If you're looking about for a handout, the outline, the sermon outline, I don't have one today. Uh, what happened was uh, I had it typed out on the, uh, I call it the computer, actually it's just mostly a word processor. And uh, we got about a mile away from the house before I uh, remembered I forgot my sermon outline. And so as we was driving down the road, Carolyn said, uh, you know, there's a bunch of turn-ins there. And she said, well, you want to go back and get it? And I was thinking about it. And uh, she said, tell me, what do you want to do? Turn in? We can go back? I said, okay, turn in. We'll go back. So went back to the house. Then I went to the uh, <clears throat> computer. And I looked on there, and I realized that I didn't even print it out. In fact, I deleted it. So, <laughs> so I came out empty-handed, you know. And so you don't have an uh, outline kind of like those donuts back there when I come to church I expect to see them now and if the outline is not here I've probably got you in the habit of uh, seeing them and you're looking around for it but anyway maybe it was meant to be huh in the book of John chapter 14 and uh, verses 15 through 17 it says if you love me keep my commandments keep my commandments and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. So here we're looking at the Holy Spirit of God, which you see is referred to, uh, by the pronoun, uh, masculine pronoun, he. Last time I spoke was on the subject of the Trinity, and I did not get to the conclusion that I had planned, uh, so I, I will attempt to do so today. The objective of the Trinity topic, if you recall, was to show scriptures that do not support the popular idea of the Trinity being three persons in one. Uh, which is like uh, seeing three heads on, on one body. So we see that this, this idea of a three-headed God is rooted in pagan beliefs. And that the understanding of the Trinity as a doctrine of Christianity is seen as an absolute mystery. Difficult to explain even by those who profess to believe it. Yet, as I quoted last time, as one uh, popular evangelist wrote, he said, we accept the fact that the Holy Spirit is God just as much as God the Father and God the Son. But when it comes to explaining it, we are at a loss. So we see also from the last uh, uh, sermon, uh, we saw here uh, where the belief, that belief was put into what is called the Athanasian Creed. I don't remember reading that or not, but I think I did. But this creed or credo uh, means I believe. So this was, uh, they believed in the Trinity. So they wrote about it 
and established it as a doctrine for those to consider. And it declared that there are three forms in which the divine essence exists. So this is how uh, many Christians believe in a trinity. Now, we sometimes, uh, sometimes people will ask us, you know, uh, how can you believe in a God that you don't see? How can, how can you believe in those words that were written by man thousands of years ago? And so sometimes there is doubt, but then, so they try to come up with ways in which to put together in, in an idea uh, how God appears or how he looks like. Now, the word Trinity, as I mentioned in the other sermon, was that that word is not found in the Bible. Neither is divine Trinity. These are all man-made expressions. And the Trinity doctrine is not according to uh, what we read in scriptures, as we went over the last time. But we won't go back over all that, but I'll try to just go on and conclude this topic on the Trinity. So, from these words that I read, the scripture there, about the Comforter, uh, we see how the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, and the Spirit of Truth, and that is referred to as uh, He, or Him, or Himself. But it, we know that it is the power and righteous character that is in God and in Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual essence and not a bodily uh, person. So where we, he, uh, we see the word he using reference to the Holy Spirit as in John chapters 14 and 15 and 16 it's because in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written pronouns must agree with the noun they refer to. I don't want to get you know too technical about these things because you know we I can get lost pretty easy in that. But the Greek word for comforter is parakletos. It's a masculine noun. So when that is used, he is used in reference to it. So just because he is used in reference to the comforter, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit is a person. When you read throughout the book of John, uh, there are many... Uh, metaphorical descriptions but this is the only place where, where uh, comforter is used the word comforter it means intercessor that is an intervener it also means counselor uh, as if you go into the dictionary it means counselor which is a guide or a, an advocate someone who pleads uh, the case for someone else on their behalf or a supporter. It's like a cheerleader or a fan or a booster. It is also the spirit of truth. So if you're wanting to apply human attributes to the word comforter, then you would have to regard wisdom as a person. Over in Proverbs chapter 8, here's what it says of wisdom. It says, does not wisdom cry have you ever heard wisdom cry so it's using that if you take it at you know a face value you think well uh, wisdom has a voice it can cry does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice 
She stands in the top of high places. So we see these, uh, these uh, essential spiritual things as talking, as crying, and as standing in the high places, and by the way, in the places of the paths. She cries at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. Wisdom and understanding, we know, are just spiritual attributes. They are of the mind and the heart and the soul, just as the comforter is called, uh, referred to as the spirit of truth. Now, where does the uh, spirit of truth come from? It comes from reading the word of God. The wisdom, when it cries out in the streets, it's like you being at a corner and you're there at the stoplight, but you see a car speed through the intersection, crashing in to another car. And so that gives your heart and your mind and your soul something to think about, knowing that wisdom is telling you that you've got to be careful at intersections. And so wisdom comes across. It cries out, and you retain it for future use. And so from reading the word of God, and not everybody believes the word of God. They think their own thoughts. They think their own ways. And when the word of God is read, they, they're just not into it because they think it's not uh, true or it's not going to happen. But in John 17, uh, verse 17, it says to sanctify them through your truth. And then it says about the words, your word is truth. So these things that we read in the word of God are truth. And we are set apart. We are sanctified by uh, the truth. And if you think about it, what separates us today from, from, from the other church beliefs? Well, you know, not only the Trinity, that's one thing that separates us. But the thing that separates us, that sets us apart, is according to the truth of the Sabbath, of the Sabbath. That's one of the truths. And the truth about the uh, Sabbath. Now, what is the aim of being guided into the truth? In the book of John, chapter 14, again, <clears throat> verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So it does take loving God, loving his words, in order for the commandments to really sink into your life. And we know about these commandments, don't we? Do not steal. Do not lie. Honor your mother and father. Keep the Sabbath. Don't covet, and so on and so on. And verse 16, I, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, and so on. So let's, in this scripture again, let's note this word spirit. This word spirit comes from the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly right, but that's the word used for spirit as we read it there in English. So as you read, as you read in verse 17, we come to this word it. And, uh, see, but you know, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I'm trying to read Okay. 
I'm looking. And it shall be, yeah, <laughs> flashing those. Uh, it shall be in you. So this word it uh, is a neuter pronoun in reference to the spirit uh, as an it and not a person. In Romans 8, verse 14 through 16, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then here we in verse 16, the spirit itself, itself, beareth witness. That is, it gives evidence with our spirit that we are the children of God. As you look around this room, those who are baptized and have received the Holy Spirit, you are the children of God, expected to grow up and mature in the truth. And we also see also that man has a spirit too. That there is a spirit. And, and you ask, well, how is that? Well, it comes in the form of our personality, uh, uh, our character, and our nature which is manifested in the way uh, we act or the way we behave. So having God's spirit is a guide to doing his will and to have the mind of Christ and an attitude of righteousness. That is, you know, doing the right thing. So we know that there is a spirit that, that is not of God. It is a worldly spirit. One of, one of malice and to do harm and to hate and to not love and to not believe in the eternal. In John chapter 16, I guess I did not give that. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. I'm lost without my outline. No, I'm not. John chapter 16 and verse 7. It says... Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. This is what Christ was saying as he was about to depart from the earth, go back to his throne in heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father. It is expedient for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. And if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this he is referring to the Holy Spirit, the it. It's going to reprove the world of sin. And it's doing that already in our lives because we are able to discern a right way and a wrong way. And to make, through the help of the Holy Spirit, to do what's right. And we know what righteousness is. And of judgment. You know we have to have judgment. To be able to discern. Between those two things. Of sin. Because they believe not on me. Of righteousness. Because I go to my father. And you see me no more. Of judgment. Because the prince of this world is judge. And in verse 12 he said. I have yet. Many things to say unto you. But you can't bear them now. It's a little too heavy for you. Right now. 
Howbeit, when he, the spirit, pneuma, is like, it's described as a current of air or a breeze. When the spirit of truth is come, he or it will guide you into all truth, for it shall speak of himself, or he shall not, he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So you can see how those who have taken the Trinity doctrine and have said, well, the Holy Spirit is a person. And defying really, as, we, as I quoted earlier, ex, uh, explanation. <clears throat> verse 15. Uh, verse 14. He shall glorify me. It shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Everything that God the Father has is Christ. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you in a little while and you shall not see me and again a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. So you know the, you know, the disciples had to ask well, what's he talking about? And he goes and says in verse 21 that they all may be one you as you and he's making this in a prayer as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be of one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me so it's the Holy Spirit that holds God and Christ and us together in a bond and of sonship and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. In the book of John, I don't think I gave this to you, Brian, but in the book of John, I'd like to go there, first chapter. You know what, you're probably familiar with this, but it says in John 1 and verse 1 that in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you see the key idea here is where you see the Word, the Word or, or the Greek logos. And you also see that it says with God, which signifies that there is a perfect fellowship between God the Father and God the Son in eternity. Because we see the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness uh, uh, comprehends it not. <clears throat> when you look into the truth of God, you know, there are uh, things that light up. Things that come to your understanding. Not all at once, but sometimes gradually. And it can come quickly. And, uh, you know, a light bulb goes off. The word is, is enlightening. You know, the prophet Isaiah, he foretold the birth of Christ. Over in uh, Isaiah 7, 14, when he said, A virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which was mentioned, you know, in the song, Emmanuel, God with us. And before that, you know, he was in glory uh, with the Father. Uh, last week after the, uh, the uh, sermon, uh, Reggie gave me a, uh, a little handout, and I found it pretty interesting. And it's entitled Logic and the Trinity. You know, in logic, things have to make, you know, sense. And from 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 20 through through 23, uh, I'll read that to you. It says, Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So, there are several ways in this handout, and you can uh, inquire Reggie whether he'll give you a copy or not. I, like I said, I did, didn't have anything to copy left it at the house. Um, several ways. One of the ways is A, one can deny the Father, believing only the Son. B, one can deny the Son, believing only the Father. And C, one can deny both the Father and the Son, believing neither the Father nor the Son. D, one can deny the unit, you know, the Father and Son, believing in a third party denying the, the unit or E one can accept only the divine dyad a word I wasn't really familiar with but there's a father and son together are God beings they're, they're both God and so when you read John 1 you see how and uh, that God the logos was called God and that Isaiah foretold the birth of Christ, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So, he says, I in them, in verse 23, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me as uh, you have loved me. Or love them as you have loved me. So, we're one in what way? We're one in truth, one in purpose, one in love, one in spirit. Again, we read where in John 16 where John wrote, I have many things uh, to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You know, and, and you know, it takes time as you know, the word spreads, as the word is explained, uh, then uh, we begin to bear it. You know, you're not given a heavy load all at once. It's something you just can't carry suddenly. Sometimes it's gradual. So this is a process of conversion. It's a change from falsehood to truth, which is brought on by the renewing of the mind. It takes time to grow up. It takes time to learn. But the spirit of truth is a source of comfort through uh, comfort of God through the Holy Spirit. So when one receives that spirit through baptism, uh, the laying on of hands, that spirit is like a small seed 
and it's planted into the mind to grow. You know, when you think about uh, the plants, uh, the seeds that you buy from the, uh, from the feed store, the seed store, uh, there are some seeds that are very, very tiny. You can barely feel them. They're just like a little tiny grain. But once that's planted into the ground and it's well watered, it's going to turn into a plant that goes just about everywhere. Then there are some seeds that are a little bit bigger. And, you know, inside that seed is all that, uh, all those things that is going to guide that plant into growth. And the only way it won't grow is when it's not watered or when it's put into soil that's not good for it or when there are conditions that surround that seed that inhibits its growing. So I really don't remember uh, knowing everything when I was converted and received the laying on of hands. Carolyn and I were baptized on the same day. Things came gradually. And uh, maybe if they say, well, here's something, you've got to do this, you know, uh, it might have changed your mind. But it was a process of, of conversion from, you know, changing from falsehood, falsehood to truth, brought on by the renewing of our mind. So the spirit of truth is a source of God, of, of comfort through God, through the Holy Spirit. We know that the gift uh, is, the, the spirit is a gift from God, from above, and that it is meant to change one into a God-like being. It's not a worldly, unrighteous spirit, and to walk in the worldly, unrighteous spirit is to be ruled by our carnal human nature, which you know takes some time for us to even get rid of. It's for someone to say, well, I notice that you have a temper or, or you know, you um, don't always say what you mean. There's just something about you that I think you're being carnal. But most people that I talk to, when they might go off in a wrong direction, they will correct themselves. And to me, that's the Spirit of God leading them, showing them and making them know, you know, I shouldn't say, it, say that. I shouldn't talk that way. So it's a, there's a worldly, unrighteous spirit and if you look in Galatians chapter 5, um, that we've done many times, you contrast the works of the flesh and the flesh, and, uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And you can see the value of, you know, obedience to doing what is right. Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are manifest. You know, these, these uh, writings are here to remind us. To not forget, uh, these are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, which is jealousy, wrath, strife, you know, strife, selfish ambitions. You know, you, uh, when you have ambitions, you probably try to step on others in order to get there. It's just selfish. There are seditions. There are heresies. You know, heresies are like those. It's a permanent, organized effort to change doctrine or to change uh, beliefs and cause division. And we see that the works of the flesh also include envying. It includes murders. It includes drunkenness. It in includes revelings. 
and such lies, such of those things, of the which I tell you before, and this is a warning, I have also told you in time past that they which do thing, such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God because these things cause trouble. They bring trouble into uh, our lives. And because of these things, we live in perilous times, dangerous times. And where, you know, you're just not really safe. But in the last days, it says, you know, over there in Second uh, Timothy 3, that in the last days, uh, that, uh, that perilous times will come and uh, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, we contrast this with the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness, and, and goodness, and, and faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no law against behaving in those, in those things. Because the other, uh, the uh, uh, carnal flesh, the doings of the carnal flesh lead, are going to lead to ruin. They're going to lead to harm. They're going to eventually lead to death. But the fruit of the Spirit, as it grows in all of these things, uh, leads to life. Verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So, you know, every day of our life, sometimes the carnal nature might sneak up on us, but we immediately mortify those things. We kill it. Kill it off, you know. Stop, stop thinking about it. Bad thought comes into our head or uh, something we plan to do. The Spirit of God will, uh, will uh, tell you, hey, that's wrong. But, you know, it's up to you. If you want to go that direction, go that direction. But we are warned that uh, carnal things uh, will lead to ruin. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So in this age, we know that there is much sorrow, hatred, corruption, violence, lies, malice, all sorts of wicked things because man has chosen his own way to think and to do and to act, doing his own thing and following the spirit that is in the world. But the spirit of God is a power. It's uh, from God. And we see that there is going to come an apostasy. A falling away from those things that should be right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. and uh, I looks like I uh, see. If we live in, where are we? 2 Corinthians 1.12. Okay. I uh, made a wrong uh, scriptural reference. What I was wanting to uh, read to you is in verse 12 in one of these books. But it says, now we have received not the spirit of the world. We haven't received the spirit of the world. But the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. But <clears throat> as we know, uh, many suffer because of wrong choices that were made. But God has given man freedom. To do as he pleases. 
but he also warns of the consequences. And the only way to remedy that is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And also to grow those fruits that, that we just looked at. Now, even today, even Christians today, uh, those who have the Holy Spirit, they can ignore and start doing their own thing. And that must not be so because as I earlier brought out in the last sermon that, you know, there's a danger in quenching the Holy Spirit. First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us. How? By his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yeah, the deep things of God. You know, you can see what's on the surface of a particular truth. But then, you know, sometimes you want to dig beneath all of that truth and sometimes in doing that uh, it may sound really uh, academic to get in you know way down deep into uh, a verse or a word but then the simplicity that is in Christ can be lost but it just shows that you know we have a, a, a desire to know what God knows for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Verse, uh, let's see, I think the NIV puts this. It says, that is, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world and I think this is where uh, instead of the first second uh, Corinthians 1 12 this is where this verse appears now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God for you know they are foolishness unto him so neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he that is a spiritual judges all things yet he himself is judgeth no man for who has known the mind of the Lord 1 Corinthians 3 uh, I didn't yeah. You might just want to write this down if you're keeping any notes, but I didn't put this on the, the uh, screen. First uh, Corinthians 3, 16, 17 tells us, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? doesn't matter what you know, clothes we're wearing, or the way we comb our hair. If we have the Spirit of God, we are the temple, because the Spirit of God dwells in us. The spirit that leads to love and, and to all those other things that are righteous. So we must be careful how we are to live our life and what we do uh, to the temple. Because it says to know to do good and do it not is sin. 
the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 3, he was speaking to Titus. And I should be done here in about another 30 minutes, so hold on. Maybe I'll hustle through this. I see I've got 10 minutes here. It says in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Paul speaking to Titus, and it's concerning the elders as well as those who might read this epistle as, as we do today. And Paul is telling him to put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and to be ready to every good work. Or as the NIV puts it, to uh, be ready to do whatever is good. Now, if the work of those that are in authority are not compatible with the Spirit of God, who is love, or his word, you can't be a party to it. Romans 2.10 says, Glory and honor and peace to every man that works good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And in Romans 12.18 it says, If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. And so he continues in verse 2 to Titus saying, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish. So, you know, Paul in these words is saying to us that we were sometimes foolish. We were sometimes disobedient. We were sometimes deceived, serving different lusts in, in, our, in our nature and, and pleasures and living in malice, you know, living and trying to harm someone and envy and hateful and hating one another. He's saying <clears throat> we were like that at one time. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As you've heard before, as I mentioned before in various sermons throughout, that everyone who's been here, you know, that's our aim, eternal life. You know, when you're young, you, you know, you, got, you, you have a, a long life ahead of you, but as you get older and older, you realize that you're getting closer to the kingdom of God. And that is our aim, eternal life, the hope of eternal life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. Uh, I'm going to read this from the uh, New International Version. It says that the sinful man is hostile. Is hostile. Uh, or enmity to God. I was just waiting to see if I had that up there. But apparently I uh, didn't put that in there. I'm just going to read that. It does not submit to God's laws nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But you, however, are not controlled, not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, uh, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
Romans 8 uh, verse 12 continues. It says, therefore, brothers, I probably have, the, uh, like I said, the wrong uh, uh, reference. But it says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it, it is not to the sinful nature but to, uh, and to live according to it. Because if we live by that, it says that we will die. So in this society, we struggle against unseen forces that seek to pull us down, that that, uh, you know, wants us to fail. So the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. To overcome evil, we overcome it with good. Let's skip on to verse, let's see if we got uh, Ephesians there. Uh, right, Ephesians chapter 5. There we go. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Wherefore he says in verse dropping down to verse 14. <clears throat> Wherefore he said awake you that sleep. And arise from the dead. And Christ shall give you light. And on down to verse 18. Be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess. But be filled with the spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs. Singing and making melody. In your heart to the Lord. And you know that's a, that's a part of our services here. Singing. Making melody. Looking at the words, letting those words sink in. Because, you know, there are many songs that are uplifting. And uh, many songs that suit our mood. But giving thanks always, in verse 20, for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. <clears throat> we know that in a sporting event, there are coaches out there. On the sidelines and they're imploring, imploring their team, you know, to go out there, do their best and win. And if you are a player and you're out there or you're doing some a particular thing in which there is competition involved against an opponent, then, you know, that is very appreciative because it kind of lights a little fire under us. But the other guy also is getting in, in, uh, being implored by their coach. And so... Uh, Sometimes, you know, you don't really win. But you try, right? And, you know, as I mentioned, there are cheerleaders and there are, there's a crowd. The crowd goes, you know, somehow they, they, they cause a momentum to build. So it is through the word of God and not just on the Sabbath day when we hear sermons or, or speak to one another about uh, our shared spirit. It is through, really comes through our personal reading of the word of God. And how we apply it in our everyday life. The reason the Trinity is seen as a mystery. By those who believe in it. Is because they think the Holy Spirit is a person. And, and it's not. Because the New Testament it correctly tells us in John 1. That the Father and the Son are two divine beings. Christ on the right hand. Sitting on the right hand 
of God. And as we read, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And let us remember this, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and conclude right here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that being put in on us, laying on of hands, we have the mind of Christ. We just need to remember that, call upon it, Reinforce it by study of God's word. And most of all, be sure to pray.